Welcome to the 301 Podcast, the interview podcast for the hottest up-and-coming entrepreneurs, artists, and creators. Real, authentic, and inspiring. And here is your host, Marcus Engel. Let's get it started in 301. In this episode, we talk to Jessica Livon, an entrepreneur and UI designer. This podcast was all about pivoting, pivoting career choices, moving to different countries, growing up in Tanzania, and challenging the status quo with her latest startup, Haki. Let's get into it in 301. Next up today is Jessica Livon. The world traveler has pivoted her career multiple times, and since recent, she can call herself a startup founder with her latest project, Haki. As usual, we have a lot to discuss in this podcast, but before we get all into that, a quick introduction from your side, who you are and what you do. Hi, my name is Jessica and I'm a co-founder of the startup Hacky. On the side, I also work at a company called Open Social, um, which is also a startup. And in my spare time, I'm also a freelancer and I take my own design and user experience and UI projects. Yeah, that's quite a quite an impressive introduction because um, uh, when I looked into you and researched a little bit about you, I was like, okay, uh, you have a lot of different uh, projects going on um, and we have definitely a lot to unfold today to to find out a little bit where all this motivation comes from. Um, I also hope it's okay if we do this interview in English because um, when I looked it up, you would have uh, plenty of languages to, to choose from. <laughs> so that uh, was the, the first thing that, that uh, came to my mind or to my attention. Uh, you are half Italian, half Russian. Yes. Um, and you spent over 17 years growing up in Tanzania. Yes. And besides that, you speak six languages in total. Well, not all of them fluently and not all of them fully and conversationally, but I can uh, definitely speak basically in, in all of those languages. Yeah. And fluent, would you say English, Russian, Italian and Swahili? Uh, fluent, I would say English, the most fluent. It's it's become my first language. Uh, Russian, Italian, uh, definitely more as first languages where I'm fully conversational. Uh, Swahili, a bit less nowadays. It's been two and a half years since I visited Tanzania and languages fade, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. And how, how come you speak so many different languages? Well, I never sat behind a desk to learn these languages, except for maybe English and French. Uh, all of these languages I learned just by speaking with people or the way I grew up was with parents who were Italian and Russian. So the agreement that they had is that they only spoke to me in that language. Um, so it was always quite natural for me to learn languages through speaking rather than through a classroom. Mm. Would you say you have like a, a talent for, for languages? Well, I don't think I was born with the talent. I think just growing up speaking all these languages helped me to learn how to learn a language, if that makes sense. Mm. But I definitely don't have a talent um, to sit behind a book and read grammar and stuff like that. Um, yeah, if anything, my grammar is really horrible in some of those languages. But for me, if somebody understands what I'm trying to say and I can get an emotion across, that's the most important. Mm, that's beautiful. Do, do you have any funny um, anecdote or a funny anecdote about... Uh, miscommunication in one of those languages or anything? Uh, maybe not miscommunication, but I think people are always surprised to hear me speak to my family. Um, because with my family, we don't speak in one language. We speak in multiple languages at the same time. There's just some words that make more sense in one language over the other. 
so when I'm speaking to my sister over the phone, for example, I'll start off in Russian and then there's a sentence in English and then there's this funny word that can only be said in Swahili and I pick up on it um, and I kind of give those words out all together and I'm not even aware that I'm switching languages. Yeah. That's so impressive, like also how the brain uh, uh, works. I mean, for myself, uh, I'm German, but uh, like since a couple of years, I, I spend my time in the Netherlands, uh, have an English girlfriend. So like, yeah, we talk English to each other. So I see that as well sometimes that some words just come quicker or something like this. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, for like four or five languages, I think it's quite quite crazy. If you would hear someone like hear you in the train speak to to your to your family, it would be quite crazy. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. I, I hear sometimes other people speak like that to each other in the train. And I'm always like, oh, you probably had a similar life growing up as I did, where you don't really speak in one language. You just speak a little bit of everything always at the same time yeah. how is it how was it uh, growing up for you in, in tanzania i think that's quite a yeah exotic place in in the end i think not a lot of people can can say uh, to grow up there uh, what was it like for you um well i have to be honest we grew up in a little bit of an expat bubble so i went to an international school and a lot of my friends at school were internationals just like i was um, and we were all guests of the country rather than locals I think as I grew up in Tanzania and became a teenager, that's when I really started understanding where I lived. But for a long time, it just felt like an offshoot off of Europe or the US or whatever country my friends were from at that time. Mm. <laughs> um, but from another perspective, looking back now, I really also feel lucky that I grew up there. I got to see really beautiful things in a beautiful environment, but I also got to see some sad parts of life. And I got to see the problems that people experience in developing countries that you don't really see here, but you just really see pictures of. Um, so I think by having that experience, it gave me that perspective that there's more to life than just, you know, living in Amsterdam and, and having a beautiful place. Um, that there's also, yeah, the mass majority of people who live not in super comfortable environments. Mm, I can imagine. And what is it like in uh, family uh, Livon to 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 grow up with all the different cultures, with living then, um, yeah, growing up in a completely different environment in Tanzania? Um, every culture has its own charm and its own um, fire, and I think especially the maybe perceived rather cold culture of russian and the hot-tempered italian uh, culture how's how was yeah how was growing up there really interesting i think well uh, i think that when we as people move to a different country we bring the culture with us in a big way um, and the environment that we create we take in a lot of the culture that we're at so in tanzania the culture is really relaxed and friendly and everyone's very willing to help each other out so we kind of adopt those characteristics, but at the same time, uh, you bring in your own culture to your home or where you're at. So definitely my parents, my mom brought in a Russian kind of way of doing things and my father brought in the Italian way of doing things. And it's a bit of cherry picking the best parts about the culture you're in, um, being very reflective about what you're bringing into your home and kind of celebrating those things. Mm. That's really nice. And you said before, like, yeah, when I grew up, I realized a little bit, um, yeah, how, how, um, maybe like the, the hardship that the people, um, experience there. 
Um, and after high school, then you you move to to Spain uh, to study uh, uh, interior design. Yeah. Um, when did you take this decision on? Hey, uh, I think interior design would be something that I'm super interested in. Uh, well, at the time, my father uh, works in construction, and my mother at the time was working in real estate. So it felt really natural for me to work in this kind of environment. Uh, and at the same time, I always knew I wanted to work in something creative. At the time, it felt like this was a really uh, more sophisticated way of becoming creative rather than just being an artist or something like that. I felt like there was much more of a drawn up career path for me. Um, I figured out later on uh, that interior architecture wasn't for me and it's not something I'm super passionate about, but it kind of paved the way of a creative career. And I think a lot of creative careers start with some basic fundamentals that you learn in any kind of design course. Mm. Can you remember like a time um, that you did something that you realized you're maybe more creative than others or that you have like a, an eye for like design or anything? Does anything come to mind for you? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> As a child, I was always enjoying art class uh, when we would have to make presentations in class. Uh, I didn't really focus on the content of what I was making. I was more focused on the visuals and how I would present it and the intonation I would use in the presentation. And I was always very interested in theater as well. I always had a, been drawn to more creative fields. Uh, so when the time came for me to kind of think, okay, what do I want to do seriously? It felt like a really natural course for me. And I never, quite lucky, uh, I never really struggled with answering what what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you think that you see the world differently than other people with your maybe design eye? I think that I see the world as a lot of designers do. I don't think I see it differently, but I think that designers have a certain way of looking at the world um, from a more curious standpoint rather than uh, living within it, if, if that makes sense. Um, I noticed that in my life, uh, a lot of my friends and the people I surround myself with tend to be designers. And we always have these conversations like, oh, I'm you know, really worried about the way the world is going right now. Technology is really taking over. And we kind of see it more as an audience rather than the people living on the stage. Mm. Am I making sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah, it's quite interesting because I think, um, for example, for myself, I um, I spot a lot of things that are on top of buildings. I don't know why, but I always look up and then you, you see those like weird things, like, I don't know, some cats up there or, or like, I don't know, some other things. Uh, and a lot of people said that to me, really like, oh, you always spot those kind of kind of things. So I was wondering, you know, if you also have this kind of um, yeah eye for for changing maybe sometimes perspective or looking at, at things differently and uh, yeah, i think it's quite interesting your your answer do you remember maybe a time that you designed something for the very first time that you were actually proud of <laughs> uh, i don't think i'm 100 proud of anything i've created i feel like looking back on everything i'm di i did i'm quite self-critical and i'm like oh i could have done this better um, or sometimes I look back on a project, I'm like, oh, I'm really embarrassed that I did that or that I thought that was cool at the time. Uh, but I think what I'm most proud of in projects isn't the actual outcome or how it looks like visually, but it's more about the process that I went through to create that project. So one of my first uh, freelance projects uh, as soon as I graduated from interior architecture was for an interior design company. 
and they hired me as a freelancer to do some 3D renderings of an interior space um, as a project, as an outcome. It wasn't my best work, but it was really good at the time and it was good for what they needed. But what I'm most proud of in that project is having my first client and as a freelancer and being able to talk to them and being able to understand what they actually wanted from me. And I think that process of trying to understand what the actual problem is, is more important than the actual execution of it. Because at the end of the day, I can come to the client and be like, this is what you're looking for and this is what you need. Maybe I'm not the right person to answer the brief, but now you know a bit more about what you're looking for. Mm. And do you think um, you're so self-critical only when it comes to design work or is it also for you hard to... Uh, be proud of yourself in general? I think it's a combination of both. Uh, I think as designers, we have to be a bit more self-critical because we're designing things or experiences that people will use. Um, and sometimes we forget the kind of ethical boundaries of that as well. Uh, when we're creating a website or a landing page and it's all about getting clicks, I mean, what are you actually doing for the world there? Are you creating some sort of a dark pattern? Uh, or when you're creating an app, um, are you actually, you know, is the, what comes out of the app, what is most important? Or is it about how the person experiences the application that is more important? Mm. Uh, so I think as designers or people in technology in general, we have to be self-critical. Um, but also personally, I think I've always been a bit more critical of myself uh, And that's something I have to work on. Mm. And also from a like critical as a designer, but and also ethical, right? Um, because I think, uh, yeah, if you watch, um, what was the documentary? Uh, social, the social media documentary for, on Netflix, Social Dilemma. Oh, yeah. yeah. And when you then talk, like meet those people that invented the uh, like unlimited scrolling and those kind of things. Uh, where they say like, well, at this time it was great, but now I think, you know, yeah. it's really addictive. So also like um, an ethical point of view, um, but I think that that's a little bit difficult, right, in design, uh, especially in digital design, because yeah. then you go from um, uh, creating an excellent user experience on an online shop, shop that converts very well, but on the other hand, you also manipulate someone, right, to, to click through. So that's yeah. a little bit... Absolutely. And I'm sure that designer who created the infinite scroll at the time, that was really cool. And probably from a technical perspective, what they were doing was really advanced and interesting. And they were reinventing the wheel at the time. Um, but sometimes we don't take that step to think like, okay, I'm creating this thing. I'm putting it out in the world. It can also be abused and it could also be used for negative things. And what is that? Mm. Uh, and I think that's kind of where design is headed right now. A lot of designers are becoming more self-aware of what they're creating um, and also taking more ownership of it, of that I created this and this is what it's meant to be used for. Mm -hmm. And it's quite interesting because we, we naturally pivoted a little bit into um, yeah, digital design now, um, and uh, you did as well. Uh, I think after you, your bachelor, you moved to the to the Netherlands. Uh, you worked different jobs, and um, then you started a master also in digital design. When was um, like when was for you the moment that you realized you want to pivot? Maybe like your first pivot point in your life, um, or 
probably have many, but one of the, the more significant ones. Uh, when was for you the moment that you said, like, I really am more drawn towards this digital design side? Yeah, uh, well, when I was practicing interior architecture, either as a freelancer or working in a company that did interior architecture, I noticed that the actual technical execution of what I was doing was not that important to me. It was always nice, but I didn't feel stimulated by it or inspired by it. And what was always interesting to me, and I think this is how I always say interior design translates to digital design, you're thinking about the user and how they experienced a physical space. Somebody enters a home and it feels warm and they feel like they know exactly where the kitchen is. And it's exactly the same when you design an app the home button is almost always in the same place for a reason. And I think that was kind of how I pivoted mentally from a design perspective, but also as a person who creates things, um, it just made more sense to me because that I was more focused on the user and more focused on thinking about how a person experiences an app mm. rather than just the visuals of it. Be super nice because then in the end, like you kind of, married the two career paths that you that you took right and also from like a, a mindset perspective and from a personal perspective um we talked before the podcast a little bit about it <laughs> dutch weather today uh, saturday very rainy very windy uh, very cold um and you lived in so many different countries already uh, you're still very young um what was for you like the um, or 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 how do you um constantly evolve and and adapt to to new cultures how, how does that work well i don't think there's a recipe book for that i i don't think i can i could give a step-by-step -step plan on how to do it but i think it comes from a motivation of wanting to belong to a place so when i moved to the netherlands or when i first moved to spain i didn't know the language i i didn't understand the mannerisms of the people and i didn't understand the things that were important to them But through being curious and wanting to befriend somebody from that country or wanting to create your own community, you kind of have to learn about the culture and you have to put yourself into it in order to survive or, or to belong to a community. Mm. I find it quite interesting f f in general, like your kind of profile, it's uh, pivoting careers a lot. It's pivoting uh, like uh, from going to, from country to country, uh, changing cultures. Um, and 10 months ago, you uh, decided f to go for another uh, pivot um, and you started your own uh, business called Haki. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what's the mission of Haki? So uh, Haki is a platform that we're creating for children between the ages of 10 to 12 uh, to use and to learn more about technology, but through storytelling and also through physical real life play as well. The reason we started Hacky is because we felt that currently how technology is taught in schools is really, well, not just basic, but it's really one dimensional, right? Um, in coding class, you are taught um, to use hyphen, dot, comma, um, which doesn't really say anything about technology. And we're raising a whole generation of kids that are going to be way more technologically advanced than we are. And somehow we still teach technology in a really kind of black and white way. Um, without really allowing children to make their own opinions about technology and kind of question technology or understand that technology is just more than a person and a laptop. Mm. I find this is such a important project um, 
I never heard from it before, uh, to, to be honest. Um, but when I looked into it, I thought, wow, that makes uh, so much sense because I think it's uh, around a year ago, I listened to a podcast of um, uh, a game maker. Um, she is creating apps for children. Um, and she creates apps for children to learn about uh, technology. Um, and she, I think, lived in Shanghai for quite a long time. And uh, in China, it's so um, integrated into the society. So there are games for children where they learn how to code their own game. Wow. And um, it's part of the ed educational system. So there's a generation uh, that are maybe 10 years old, eight years old, that learn how to code and program um, from a very early, early age. And I think like looking at all the digital developments and blockchains and Web 3.0 and all those kind of things, those will be essential skills. Like I think yeah. same as now, almost everyone can do a little bit of Photoshop and a little bit of, uh, I don't know, like cutting videos and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think in 10, 15 years, it will be essential that everyone has knowledge of, okay, I can code my own website on, on WordPress or I can, I don't know, I can fix my own, uh, I don't know, problem that I have on a computer or something. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think it also even goes beyond that as well. Um, I think, we all will have some basic understanding of code or the logic behind it at some point. Um, but I think what's more interesting how technology is coming into all these other industries that are not related to information technology um, and how those are being changed by technology within themselves. I mean, education is the most obvious example. Uh, you don't need to have a, an understanding of coding to become a teacher, um, but slowly all the technology that you are introducing to the classroom and your awareness of it or how you understand the security related to it does affect what you teach and how you teach it. Mm. So I think that's the interesting point for us. And aside from inspiring more children to go into STEM, particularly women and girls to come into STEM jobs, that's science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, um, also inspiring people to, or inspiring children to understand how technology and all those skills can shape their own industry, even if it's not within STEM. I think a lot of people, when they found startups, they look for um, parts that are maybe easy to, or easier to penetrate, let's say. So uh, with your design background, um, I think it would have been easier probably to create a, I don't know, online shop <laughs> on, <laughs> on, on Shopify then then uh, tackling like uh, the educational system which is super traditional um why why did you choose to to take this industry and say like okay I want to leave my mark my stamp here well uh personally for me my most favorite part about being a designer and being about this industry is that you start a project not knowing anything about the industry I don't have experience in education um, but I could find somebody who does. Uh, and it's understanding that I don't know anything and I'm going to ask a lot of questions and, and try to figure out how to kind of hack this problem, you could say. And towards the end of the project, I'll know a whole lot more about it. And that's why I think in my career I've pivoted so much is because I've always been interested by a lot of different things. And so with Hacky, uh, I'm one of the co-founders of Four, and we're all kind of like this. We're really curious. We're all generalists rather than specialists. Um, so for us, we want to solve a problem more than create a product. And I think that nuance is kind of what sets us apart. Mm. And do you still 
do you still remember the the beginnings like how because of course now you have <laughs> this platform built you have maybe uh, a couple of students that play around with it already and everything um but how was the beginning like um how how, how did you came up with the general idea to to do that well it was actually the idea of one of my co-founders uh he's a developer so he felt like he didn't have a good enough introduction in his childhood years uh, to be able to be in this. He just kind of found it through internet and lurking on the web, basically. Uh, and when he told me his story and he told the rest of us his story, we really resonated with that because me, who grew up in Tanzania on the other side of the world, I had exactly the same problem. Uh, our IT class, one of the courses or one of the exercises we did was we're given a, a picture of dolphins and we were supposed to fo photoshop them into pink dolphins and i remember thinking well is this really helpful is this like just an activity to kind of check it off a list that they're teaching me technology um or could we make something out of this and and could we kind of transform the way children learn technology into a way that's actually helpful Mm -hmm. that's i think that's such an amazing mission uh really really cool do, do you think that um or what was your was there any like hardship as well like while starting up because uh, of course now everything sounds super amazing but did you also have like um hard parts uh and, and difficult paths to to conquer that you said okay maybe we have to stop all this because uh, it's really cool idea but it's very difficult to implement Yeah, uh, I would say we're still at the beginning. Right now we're still testing our MVP and we're still creating kind of the basis of the MVP as well. So we're definitely still at that really, really difficult part. In all of our interviews that we've had with teachers and with principals and school directors, everybody really wants this change and they really resonate with the vision of transforming it. But nobody really wants to do it. And I think that's kind of the problem that we're facing now is there's an want, but nobody knows how. Uh, and I guess we're trying to figure out what that how will look like. Mm. And you said before that uh, like interior design helped you, for example, to create also like the digital experience to uh, yeah, where's the home, where's the living room, uh, where is the home button. Um, how did your background help you in this project particularly? Well, actually, really good question. Um, the theme of Haki and kind of the we're using storytelling within the platform to kind of teach children that technology is much more than just, you know, high zeros and oh, ones and zeros, um, but it's also integrated into our city. So the theme of the first Haki module is the 21st century's city. Um, and it's all about the kids learning different things that go into a city and how to build a city so that it's sustainable um, from both an environmental perspective, but also social perspective. So I'm really taking a lot of learnings from interior architecture where we learned about how cities are made up of and how urban living looks like for different people and kind of integrating that as a social aspect. It's quite amazing actually, right? That you sometimes you do something in the past and you um, go through it and you maybe are happy but not fulfilled no <laughs> um and i think it's quite uh, nice that uh, years later you you do something and you say like oh wow i know this <laughs> yeah and i learned this in the past absolutely i i believe there's no time wasted ever i don't 
regret those years of studying interior architecture, working in it, because now as a designer, it gives me a different perspective than other designers. And I think perhaps sometimes more practically about how things actually look like. Mm. Um, and I think it just, it makes you unique. All the stories and paths and journeys you've taken before leads you to where you are right now. Mm. I mean, cliche, but it's true. <laughs> and and what is then like the mission of Haki, like in terms of um, where do you see the students using um, like this uh, playful way of, of learning about technology? Is it then like really uh, on the educational part that's like, okay, this hour we are going to do this or is it an app that they use at home? And uh, Well, how we see it, at least for now, when we're really open uh, to changing and pivoting based on what we learn through research, um, but at least for now, how we see it is that the exercises and the hardware part of it is an exercise that you do in class with the uh, platform and the laptop there. Um, but we still want to pay attention to the teacher's role in the classroom. And we feel that a conversation with the teacher, kind of opening up this conversation about technology is something we want to give to the teacher and leave it in their hands. So we imagine at the end of class after you know, them learning about uh, water ir irrigation through a city and how technology has influenced that, um, that they talk about water problems more broadly in the world with the teacher and seeing it more than just um, within this 21st century city, mm. but also within the world. And I think that's what the more human and teacher role is, is to make what they learn more human. Mm. And how do you see it evolving in the future, um, Haki? Like now you have this, let's say maybe one module of a 21st century. Do you have like a lot more, is there a lot more to come or is it something that you first need to uh, develop this and then see how this uh, also gets adapted or adopted? Yeah. So first we definitely want to kind of create this MVP, release it and understand how students experience it, if they do find value from it, if they are interested in it. Um, and then beyond that, we can, of course, always pivot. But just because of the, we're focusing more on technology and digital literacy, it's such a huge subject. I feel like we'll have years and years of content to just cover all of it. Um, but yeah, at first, it's a lot of research and cherry picking what is most interesting and relevant to children. Mm. Yeah, I think it's an amazing project. Um, I read of it, of course, online before the, the talk. Uh, but when you can like hear, like also see you, unfortunately the, the listeners cannot see you, <laughs> but uh, you can really see that you have like fire in the eyes and you really believe, okay, this can be a really, really cool uh, and helpful thing for the future for the, for the children. And I definitely do think it is. Um, what I also find really interesting um, about your personality is that um, you have Haki, you have a freelance job, but you also um, uh, work for Open Social how do you combine all of those different tasks and responsibilities and how do you strike the balance uh, where to put your your energy uh i think this is uh, the most asked question of 2021 <laughs> <laughs> of uh, people to me but also i to myself um first of all all the things i'm working with right now all come from startups and all of these startups that i'm working with even my freelance project All of their goals are to make the world a little bit better or make something a bit safer or give people a better experience than they do right now. So I think from a motivational level, I'm really motivated because I feel like I'm actually making an impact 
And so that keeps me afloat. Um, and on the other side, it's also just being honest with myself and saying, well, as I work through these projects and I switch between these projects, sometimes I'm still thinking about the previous project. And it's okay, I think, to let yourself be curious uh, and let yourself work on whatever it is at the moment that is interesting to you or you feel like you have enough mental energy to work on right now. Mm. Um, at my job, it's a, called Open Social and we're creating uh, online communities that are safer and where the ownership of the community can belong to the person rather than a big tech company, not naming any names. <laughs> um, So when I'm working on that, I feel like I'm helping that group of people. When I'm working on Hacky, I feel like I'm helping teachers and the education industry. Um, in my freelance projects, I feel like I'm helping them. And it takes a kind of different mental energy to help these different groups of people, or at least I think I'm helping these groups of people. Um, and I think that's what it is. It's letting yourself be a generalist rather than a specialist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting perspective. Like with all the things going on, how do you still feed your creative mindset? That's a great question. Uh, how I feed my creative mindset? I think it's always been about the people that I work with. And I'm really lucky that in all of my projects that I have going on right now, I work with people who are way more talented than I am, way more educated about the subject that they're working in. And it's to kind of lead with that and be inspired by what they do and let that kind of be the fire and energy that drives me in my own projects. Mm. And besides creativity, you also need to have an entrepreneurial mindset. How do you feed your entrepreneurial mindset? <sighs> That's the harder <laughs> part. <laughs> I would still call myself a beginner entrepreneur. Um, I've had freelance projects for a long time and that's always worked with me because I got to be my own boss and decide my own hours and all of those cliches. Um, but with that, it also let me pick the projects that I wanted to work with. Um, and I think that's definitely the most attractive part to me of being an entrepreneur is allowing the project that I'm working with to kind of gauge my curiosity or motivate me to create something. Mm. Um, still uh, have no exact clue about what drives me as an entrepreneur. I know that this question might be very hard for you to answer, but what was the coolest project that you have designed so far? Yeah, that's, Because that's it a pretty it, tough question. It, it, com it comes with pride. And then, of course, you have to be like kind of also proud of something that you've created. Yeah. But what was something that you did that you think like, okay, I think this was really cool. Um, and of course, I think that's just naturally. Um, I think we, we talked about before the podcast that this podcast is for you now also nice to say like okay this is where i'm standing now and this is where i stand in the future and probably in 10 years you will listen back and say okay this was quite uh, maybe not the smartest thing to say uh, back then or <laughs> to think like this um, and i think that's the same with design as well right because you constantly evolve your skills and you think oh wow i could have done this a little bit better but as of now where you stand now what would you say was your best project oh uh my best project I would actually say the very first, it was a student project that I did at in my master's, but I think it kind of proved to me that my pivot was worth it and that my background in interior architecture actually makes sense in my career now. 
And it was a project for creating an augmented reality application for architects to be able to 3D visualize the city life and to 3D visualize data moving around on a map. Um, so kind of like a holograph, but you only see the holograph on your phone. Um, so that project really called on my experience with architecture. It called on my experience with 3D. Um, and it called on this new experience now that I was learning about digital technology and interfaces. Mm. Um, so in terms of the actual outcome, aesthetics-wise, was not the best project. But I think for me, uh, as a kind of way to summarize everything I had gone through at that time, that was it for me. Mm. And as always, uh, super interesting for you that your um, interior design and architectural background uh, always comes back. Uh, so I find it very interesting, you know, that it's kind of like, it's always this kind of like repeating pattern that in all the projects that you do and that you were proud of, like this, uh, your base architectural yeah. uh, heart maybe <laughs> is uh, still still kind of involved. And it's, that's really nice, I think. Um, I asked you very in the beginning of the podcast, um, if you th see things differently. If I rephrase this question, um, I said, do you th think you see things differently from a design perspective? Uh, but do you also think that design um, changes your vision on entrepreneurial decisions? Yes, <laughs> that's a huge, huge yes. Uh, I think being a designer is quite similar to being an entrepreneur where you start a project with a bunch of assumptions and thinking that you know the answer to a problem. Um, and just like in the design thinking cycle, it's exactly the same in entrepreneurship. You have to test your assumptions. You have to talk to people who are experts who know more than you about a certain subject. You have to research the people both quantitatively but also qualitatively, um, live, breathe, sweat <laughs> your current project right now and that's kind of the process for it and i think this kind of design thinking cycle is very similar to the entrepreneurship cycle mm. of uh, questioning what you thought you knew mm, right you, you said before that um, you would consider yourself as a beginner entrepreneur what is so far the most difficult part of entrepreneurship to you I think that's focus. <laughs> I think a lot of people say focus, uh, mostly because it's true. Uh, I have this innate drive that I have an idea and then I work on it and then I get an even better idea and I want to switch directions all of a sudden. And that works really well in design, but in entrepreneurship that doesn't go down so well, especially when you work in a team and with clients. Um, so that's something I struggle with right now is once I decide on a direction to stick to it, explore it to its full potential. And then if that doesn't work out, switch routes. Hmm. But to kind of wait till you get that answer. Focus. Is there, is there something that you try to prove to yourself? I don't know. Uh, right now in my life and all the projects I have going on, I think I've demonstrated I don't have enough focus and that I'm maybe focused on too many things at the same time. So that's something I definitely need to work on further. Uh, but I think what I'm doing right now is I'm just trying to open up a lot of doors as options for myself. And when the future, when I know a bit more about myself and what I'm good at, that I get to kind of pick which door I want to go into and focus on that a bit more. Mm -hmm. And I find it so interesting in terms of like how you switch careers and how you pivoted a lot of times. 
Um, what would you say was like the biggest um, personality change that you went through in all those pivot points? That's an amazing question. Uh, I wish I could spend an evening thinking about <laughs> an answer for that. <laughs> um, Personality-wise, I don't think it was so much of a change of personality as more of an evolution of personality. Uh, I think in interior architecture, you have to be quite disciplined. Um, it's an industry that's super competitive and everybody wants a job in it. And once you do get a job in that field, um, you're not treated super well as well because everybody knows it's a dream job. Um, and I think once I switched from that into digital design, it's you know a field that's ever evolving. There's not enough people in technology and all of a sudden uh, I'm not the one looking for the job. The jobs are looking for me now. Uh, I think it's been an evolution in personality of, okay, I don't have to stress anymore and prove myself in a project, but now I have time to explore who I am in relationship to this project. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> I think it's really cool. I think it's uh, really nice how you went from, like how you um, evolved also in the different stages of your life. You know that every year has uh, several seasons. Mm -hmm. Four. If you would have to describe in which season you are currently, and not from an age perspective, yeah. um, which one would it be? Ooh. <laughs> Uh, I think uh, I might be a bit biased because it's actually fall right now. Um, but I would say fall, mostly because I know I'm about to start a period of life where I'm going to be very busy. Uh, I kind of know that winter is coming. Of I'm going to have to maybe close myself off a little bit and work on a lot of projects and finish a lot of things that I started. Um, but I think the best part about fall is you're kind of maybe more as like an animal you're collecting all the things you'll need for the winter and that's what i'm doing right now um, i'm kind of collecting the people who are going to be in my life i'm collecting all the things i'll need to be able to survive this mm. winter i really love this question i think it's so nice um, it's a beautiful question <laughs> yeah. I, I wow <laughs> i ask this now uh, I, i found this question on another podcast uh, actually uh, or like it was a clubhouse i think And they always have like one big and one small question that they ask. And a small question can be, um, I don't know, uh, do we put cereals or milk first? Mm. Um, <laughs> and, and, the, and the big question is uh, something like this. Um, and it's so interesting how people interpret the different seasons in terms like in comparison to their lives. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's fantastic. Um Before, I have like always three final questions. Uh, you listen to the podcast, so you know um, the drill. Uh, but before we get into that, what do you think is like the, the future hold for you? Like for the, if you look into the next two years, three years, how do you see yourself evolve in that space? I think over the next two, three years, um, I hope for myself that I find the focus that I'm looking for. I hope for myself that I maybe work a bit less on projects that are not that important to me and spend more time on working on projects that I really believe in. And by doing that, I hope I'll have a stronger impact in what I'm doing. Mm. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I think I would like to uh, take, uh, yeah, to, to bring this podcast slowly home. I think it was really, really amazing uh, to get to know you, um, pivoting careers, put yourself in uncomfortable positions, 
um, constantly having the drive to to try new things, to uh, as you said, keep the doors open, yeah. uh, and uh, maybe uh, open more doors uh, and see in which doors you want to go into. Uh, but at the same time, having also this problem not to open too many doors and also focusing which doors should be open and which doors should be closed. Um, but at the same time, working at those amazing projects, uh, your mission with Haki, I think is absolutely uh, beautiful. And uh, I think it has a very, very bright future. So keep that up. Um, and what I found really, really outstanding is that um, maybe like a choice that you did years ago, like studying um, interior design, uh, interior, uh, interior architecture, that this theme comes back into your entrepreneurship all the time. I think this is so cool uh, because sometimes I think people are too afraid of choosing a career path in the beginning because they think they have to do it for the rest of their life while not realizing that this can be maybe just a small puzzle piece to a Way, way, oh my way gosh. bigger picture. Yes, life is, in a way, I think it's so <laughs> short. We have such a limited time on earth. But at the same time, if you do manage to live till 90, it's actually a very long life. Yeah. And picking one career that you do for the rest of your life, that's a really big choice for a 17-year-old to make. Yeah. I think it's just accepting that you could be wrong, but whatever it is that you learn, you keep that with you and you carry it through and you find the new ways that you can apply that knowledge to what you're doing now. Mm, 100% agree. Before we leave off, um, I always have uh, three final questions. Um, and the first one is, uh, what are you not very good at right now and you want to become better at? Mm, I've listened to your podcast, <laughs> but I still don't know the answer. Um, I think focus, I think it's figuring out what's important and sticking to that and not getting too distracted by opening a lot of doors. Mm, super nice. Um, what name would you give this chapter of your life? Hmm. I would actually say uh, bootstrapping, uh, kind of making do with what I have right now. Um, time is limited, resources are limited, but somehow I'm managing Uh, so I would call this bootstrapping. Nice. And the last question, if you could send an SMS to all the mobile phones in this world, what would you say? I guess I would say be kind to each other, give each other a little bit more love, um, spend a bit more time with you. Yeah, I would say be kind to each other. Yeah, that's really important, and especially in this uh, very rough time. Yeah. Jessica, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. It was amazing to uh, learn about uh, you and uh, how you are driven and what really, really cool projects you have uh, in this upcoming period. So definitely have an eye out for Jessica's and your projects. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the 301 podcast again, especially the part of the ethical boundaries of the makers of a better tomorrow. I found personally the most important topic of this episode. And it's definitely something that we should discuss more. And everyone should think about that topic in their own segment. Is it what I'm doing also ethical? Or is it just about clicks, the money and the fame? Sometimes it's not just about that. And you should ask yourself, are you really building a better tomorrow? We are back in two weeks with another amazing episode of the 3 podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And until then, stay safe. Yours truly, Marcus. <laughs>